Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now. Today I'm joined by Design It's Head of Design and Creative, Christine Pizzo. Christine talks to us about a broad range of things, including creative leadership, managing millennials, and large-scale projects working on projects for the likes of the aviation industry and solar communities through apps. This is a, a, a big chat, big chat on many levels I think you're going to enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing? My name is Ben Talon. This is the Creative Condition Podcast episode 205 the numbers just keep on climbing how are you i hope you're well hope you're feeling good on this december tuesday as the show comes out in 2023 when i guess it's the normal state now that the world is upside down um interesting things going on the world is in oh flux as ever political turmoil war war more war heartbreaking stuff I've been remiss to not mention it. I don't. I try not to get overly political, particularly on this show and on social media, because I have my standpoint on that. I think we put too much currency in social media. In today's world, it has a track record in bringing results on a human level, but I do also think that we are blind to a lot of other ills in the world through our reliance upon it. Um, tragic things going on in Gaza, parts of the world, I think... Do you know, I'll tell you what's interesting. I've seen a lot of anger. I've seen a lot of inter-design community anger about what people perceive as, as lack of action and shouting into the void with things that don't matter. Now, I'm, I'll agree with that in part because I think that there is a lot of vacuous content on social media that does distract and has been leveraged by politicians to distract us from ills in the world but I also believe that we can't just stop our lives completely and switch off from everything else um, because we are locked into a capitalist system and we have to go to work we have to feed our families many of us would choose not to do that through a monetary system if we could but the fact is we have to so we have to promote our businesses we have to shout so I, I don't think we should be attacking one another about that but I do think that we should be standing up for what we believe is right and using our voices as best we can but I don't I also don't think we can all just become um visual activists overnight I think it's jarring with a lot of sensitive souls and personalities and we have to be sympathetic and understanding about that those of us that that can do that should and do and i've tried to do that myself i, I shared a post last week with the name of a small boy who was in gaza i painted onto my arm his name and his age to try and drive home the severity of the humanitarian crisis that is going on um but what we mustn't forget is that people are you know building and signing 
petitions. I myself have signed countless. I have emailed my member of parliament about this. Um, there are quieter ways to do it. And I think that if we start savaging one another through social media for a perceived lack of action, then we're on a slippery slope. And I just think we have to be mindful and careful about that. So let's call for a balance, shall we? I'm gonna call for a balance through this show. Use your skills for good if you can contribute to something, but also be careful because we, you know, we don't understand a lot of situations and social media has a horrible habit of going straight to the throat, straight to the sharp end and alarming us. And that's what I think is happening here. We are in, a lot of us are in a fight or flight instinct. And when we get into that horribly traumatized, frightened mindset, and let's face it, who doesn't when we're faced with such horrors in the world, um, then we, we can make we can make self-defeating moves do you know what i mean so we have to take a moment sometimes and we have to be considered in what we do here so let's just say let's use our voices how we can as best we can in keep with our personality and our sensitivity but there are other ways and it doesn't all happen on social media so let's just be careful about you know infighting Let's just help build movements and go to organisations like Avaz, like 38 Degrees and UNICEF that are doing great work. I've donated to those organisations. I've thrown what I can afford in the pot. That's some of the best action you can take, you know. It doesn't have to be social media. Let's just remember that. Anyway, moving on. Um, big thank you to the founding supporter of the show, Illustration X. Check out their global range of illustrators and animators at illustrationx.com. And without further ado, let's get into it. So today's guest is Design It's head of design and creative, Christine Pizzo. So for those of you that don't know Design It, it is home to 700 plus designers, analysts, brainstormers, creators, doers, dreamers, explorers, geeks, leaders, learners, lovers, mamas, papas, renegades, strategists, marketers, tree huggers, visionaries, question askers with diverse expertise and perspectives working together to solve complex problems. On that basis, I'm talking to Christine because Christine heads massive team of designers in the Americas and she's gonna talk about managing people, managing in the right way with creative minds, talking about how do you manage to work on big large scale projects and maintain balance. You know, these guys work with Los Angeles World Airports, with Eurofred, with solar communities, with banks, with motor companies. And we're gonna talk about making change through design. Can big businesses, and particularly big design industries, encourage positive change in the world? So we're gonna be talking about today. So um, about Christine. Christine's an experienced catalyst, creative director, innovation strategist, professor, and community builder. For the past 15 years, Christine endeavors to spark ingenuity through curiosity and willingness to test boundaries. She leads creative teams to fundamentally transform and launch custom user-led experiences that drive meaningful impact for Fortune 100 clients. Christine Shepherds, a network of design leaders, is a practicing career coach, an activist for women's rights, and a co-founder for an inclusive motorcycle collective. This is a good one. This is full of energy, this conversation, and I hope you're going to enjoy. Um, massive thank you to everyone who's a part of the Kickstarter that is now wrapped i funded the creative condition book that is incredible news for me personally it means the world because this cause means everything to me and i hope you know that by now 
So we're moving on quickly because I've banged on about that enough. The book is going to be coming in March 2024. Look out for promotion between now and then. There's going to be a lot of drum banging about the actual book. I'm going to be writing columns. I'm going to be talking. I'm going to be lecturing, going to festivals, speaking at Off 2024. I'm interviewing Stefan Sagmeister live on the Friday night in the open room. Very excited about that. Without further ado, here is the conversation with Christine Pizzo. Enjoy, guys. Yeah, so I always like to say that I was brought up by a drill sergeant in the military. Um, and so there's kind of that leadership and that structure and then also a nurse on the other side. So she's highly creative, very compassionate. And interestingly enough, I think that led into a lot of how I function at work. Um, and we moved around a lot as a kid naturally, right? And so for me, being the oldest, I took change in as not only a catalyst, I think, but something where I would thrive. Um, and that has been another hallmark in terms of how I love to travel. I'm willing to move around, um, willing to work in an agency type spaces where I'm surfacing different problems for a lot of different people because that was what I was most interested in um, is experiencing different cultures. And I think there's a heavy dose too of uh, an, an adventurous, curious side. So uh, I've now spun into the world of everything from motorcycles to airplanes and snowmobiles, there's a lot of engine things, um, tons of camping again, because we were always trying to do something different as we were experiencing different parts of the US, you know, the mountains of Denver, et cetera. So um, that's been heavily infused in kind of how I walk around the world now. Mm. Travel's an interesting thing, isn't it? At such a formative age. Um, Agreed. Did you, did you, so that, you know, you said that sort of fed into your work, that approach. Did you kind of just embrace that lifestyle and that became a, a, an almost an instinctive part of you? Were, were there any times when you doubted that or you maybe tried to take a wrong turn in terms of career or set off down a path that wasn't particularly conducive to your personality? Or were you quite yeah. true to that early on? You know, I probably both truthfully in that I think I'm always hunting for like the next thing, the new. And so whether that's exploring a tiny town here in New England or wanting to seek out a new client, a new skill for myself. Um, and I think too, like I really had to learn how to settle and be confident in where I am um, and be willing to ride the tide for a bit and not always necessarily um, jump ship for potentially what is like the grass is greener on the other side that everyone's always looking for. And I even had an amazing executive coach a couple of years back and we talked about this theory around um, a rocket ship in that rocket ships are well and cool and that they go very high, very fast. And that's been the trajectory of my career, but you can't really turn them or slow them down or they'll break apart. And so a lot of the past couple of years specifically, I think has been dealing with not only that childhood curiosity and that adventure side, but also pacing that down into finding a better balance at work in terms of where I'm shifting, how I'm deploying my skill sets um, and really finding a comfort in that space and in being kind of transplanted in, in a certain area, right? Um, and I specifically moved up to the Boston area after grad school with the hope that I can move my career around and not move my life around. So I think I was always kind of conscious of that. Um, but it's definitely been something I've had to moderate to a degree. Mm. 
And I guess in terms of a leadership role, that will enable you to maybe recognize that in the people that, that come to you for help and advice. Yeah, I think I like to say I'm pretty flexible in terms of needing to adapt to my surroundings and to people around me as well. Um, and I think everyone comes with really unique situations and perspectives of how they enter the workforce um, and, and how they learned at a, a younger age. You know, just this past week, I was talking to a designer that um, doesn't actually, I think, resonate with such a constructive type of feedback system or things like rubrics and is more in the inquisitive open space collaboration in terms of getting to the best end result. And so um, it's recognizing like, how do you set up systems and create space for everyone to work well in the best way they can work, but we also need to work well together efficiently and move forward. And oftentimes a lot of companies build things for the general so that they create those mass efficiencies and the outliers then are not always well taken care of. And maybe there's a, a benefit of being in a creative type of industry that we are more attuned to the empathism or empathy, excuse me, and to curating specific spaces and needs and manager styles for individuals. And I, I have felt um, really blessed in being within that space and being able to learn and adapt my own styles because of that. Yeah, and I think this is something that we, as a kind of design or visual communication industry, I would dare say we're at the forefront in terms of recognizing the power of you know neurodiversity and and all those Agreed. different needs and things that maybe even just you know I know you talk quite a lot about being a millennial and managing millennials, but I guess in some sense we're the first generation to really start tapping into that and actually the needs of a broader range of people because I think back to school in the mid nineties and. There wasn't a lot of give, you know, for people who no, were different yeah. anywhere. Yeah, we have a neurodivergent ERG even. Um, and I think I was just reading a really fascinating article that was talking about, you know, the generational, um, multi-generational diversity of our workforce right now that we have over four generations. And the ones prior to us are very much about hardworking and we're the first to actually put in structures of like annual performance reviews and things like that. And our generation is one that probably more than many others has seen such a dramatic catalyst of technology coming onto the scene right as we were deciding what we wanted to do with our careers, right? I never would have known that digital design would be the space that I would be most efficient in because apps didn't exist when I was in school, right? They barely did when I was coming out of grad school even. And to then come into that space and own and be extremely adaptable in the workforce, a lot of millennials have shifted their skill sets, shifted their careers more so than any other generation previously. Uh, and I think there's such a vast difference in terms of how they are willing to approach it from a sense of community as well. So, you know, good or bad, I think millennials get picked on for being the the trophy generation, right? Everyone getting a star for participating at soccer or whatever. Um, but that's actually been really infused into a very inclusive mindset and culture when it comes to the workforce and that our solutions are built on the precedence that everyone should be able to have a seat at the table, should have a voice and recognizing hierarchy, yes, to a degree because expertise is really beneficial in teaching down, but that you can also learn up as well. I'm constantly learning from um, our interns, from 
folks above me, below me, all of the, the various sides and were more conscious of that. And it's, I think, built out some really fascinating corners of the internet that is kind of new in our first generation. Students are coming out of school now. They've already had iPhones for years to where they know how to seek AI and then go be really successful in that where it's a bigger hurdle, I think, for previous generations because it's not as natural. And um, millennials have a tendency to do things like, you know, the last 10 years launch every type of community that is open source that has GitHub. Here's all these templates. Here's YouTube videos like they are just freely giving of their skills and their time to help kind of the greater good and the phrase um, doing meaningful work or wanting to be in a place that is um, improving the world. You know, those are phrases that have been coined by millennials because of how they're not seeing work just as getting a paycheck. They're seeing it as the opportunity to improve the world we live in. Um, and that's been really fascinating. And don't get me wrong, there's challenges in their generation as well, but every generation too. And I think millennials have gotten the brunt of being the first to be so openly communicated about in a platform that can reach the other side of the world in like nanoseconds, you know? So um, it goes through history that every generation, the previous one before it says, they don't know how to have a work ethic, but we just haven't communicated to such a mass degree that it is given, I think sometimes, and um, you know, unhealthy, not unhealthy, but unfair maybe, um, overview of really millennials benefits and, and how we walk in the world and at work. I think so. And I think it's, you can't, any group of people, you can't just, you know, say they're yeah. this or they're that, as we know, but like, you do hit on something important in that the changes have been absolutely seismic in the last 20 years. And I don't think any yeah. previous generation has had such a rapid onslaught of new technology, which is both enabling and I guess for some people disabling, um, but it's, you know, that was going to happen to the generation that, that benefited the most from that also for the most, depending where you're standing. But I certainly think there's a lot of ups to it. Um, so that yeah. said, what, so what were your kind of first clues as to digital design? Because it is quite interesting that, you know, you didn't yeah. grow up with that and then you've become so heavily involved in that with your work. Yeah. It's funny. I was saying this yesterday that my first job I actually found on Craigslist, my first, you know, coming out of college and not working as a bartender after the financial downturn, um, I found a six-month temp job due to a maternity leave at an ad agency in Richmond. So for me, it was like going to the big city and working downtown at a 30-person agency that had also been around for about 30 years. And that was in very in many ways, like my big break to a degree. And I then popped over to a social media firm and I was working around, I didn't know at the time, but the strategy director who I was so enamored and impressed by because he had this ability to look completely at 30,000 feet eagle eye view and then drill down and also get into the nitty gritty and move the product or progress forward. And I wanted that ability to think at, at so many layers and be effective and and really be the idea person too you know strategy gets to come up with campaigns and and they have a bit of good fun he was an adjunct professor at this school also in richmond and my neighbor had a bumper sticker it just kept popping into me and i never expected to go to grad school and the vcu brand center was again another like strong pivot point for me i went in to an info session and had 
for all intents and purposes, like this say yes to the dress moment. I had never felt that connected of like, I must do this thing. And it shifted the trajectory, I think, of where it was going. After that, I came out and was working in kind of the, the big break, big ad agencies, and that was Digitas. And I was put on this team at the time. So it was 2014, right when apps were coming on the scene, every company realized they needed one. They were learning the phrases human-centered design. They were learning about what uh, having good branding on their website experience was. And so it was a, a mass time of transformation, a really fascinating, um, great time to get in, honestly. And we were put on this experience design team that was the first in the agency, partnered with the creative team. So that very much mirrors my my new world and design it. So it's just interesting how kind of the world is cyclical. But we were there to do these North Star pitches, like two-week turnarounds of massive ideas. So things like Dunkin' Donuts pre-ordering on the go, which we launched ahead of Starbucks. So really um, inspiring moments to define what the world of digital looks like. And that's where I got hooked. And I went into then a startup in Boston that was engineering-led and took on some really um, interesting clients, a lot of connected devices like Bose headphones, digital diabetes devices, all things that uh, got caught the eye of the mammoth that is Accenture, right? And then went through a full transition of what it was like to be acquired. And that was right when I was becoming a leader. I remember very distinctly telling my uh, boss at the time that, okay, eight months in, I now understand what I should be doing as a leader. I don't know if I'm doing it well, but I at least like know all the spaces I need to play in. What does it mean to be a director? Because I went from zero to 14. So that's a lot of people very fast. And then he goes, okay, that's great because now we're getting acquired. <laughs> so then I had to walk 26 people through something I had never experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we just kept scaling up and up within Accenture. And um, I think digital for me has been the most interesting piece because I also really like to connect it back to the physical. I had a phenomenal internship at Jack Morton um, and they are very strong in doing a lot of the physical and digital spaces, event spaces. And that's where I think I started to think about things from a human factors perspective as well. Um, and it led me into a couple different areas within my career, but mostly centering around how do you help solve the essence of a problem for an individual with the business context in mind? Because that's who you need to have approved the budget or whatever you're doing, right? Yeah. That's really interesting to me because there's there's so many things going on there. So, you know, I think I recently read Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with it. No, not yet. I will, though. But it's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. But he places it's the story of success and digging into what really forms success. And he really goes deep into timing. So the time you were born mm -hmm. and the circumstances in which which you grew up. So I, there's some really interesting things there about that kind of sink or swim in at the deep end there that I think you yeah. probably benefited from this, the kind of upbringing you described earlier, the moving around a lot and the kind of having to adapt to a lot of change. Do you think that was, was the case? Do you think that, that enabled you? Yeah, I... I think I wouldn't have enjoyed the startup and the acquisition mentality so much if I hadn't had that. It is completely fine for me to walk in a scenario that I know no one and I'm the new kid every time, hmm. right? Because I often was getting promoted, which is phenomenal, right? But into a space that I always felt like 
the young kid at the, the adults table. And I always was very cognizant of what I would call growing pains of just when I was really trying to understand and do well in this next leadership role, then I was given a whole nother set of responsibilities, which is what tends to happen with anyone who's a strong performer, right? What, what have you. But I do think that adaptiveness from a young age was really helpful there. And acquisition spaces are extremely challenging, right? I learned phrases like the glass cliff of, you know, our whole leadership team left. I stepped in place for them and I never truthfully understood what it was to, um, be a woman kind of out on a cliff alone and kind of working through supporting a team that was not only doing and having acquisition attrition, but then we had over 25 months of a hiring freeze for various reasons of where we were sitting in the org. Then we had COVID, obviously, we had the great resignation. And so it constantly felt like this sinking ship that we needed to board up as fast as we could. And then over time, we actually started to try and build a new ship because that was the only way you were going to survive. But you didn't get new materials, you know. So there's this sense of jack of all trades being really, um, I think, kind of clever in terms of what you're doing. Like I have a very tested it's fine to fail mentality. Um, and I think within leadership and especially within digital spaces, you need to have that because it moves so fast and you're validating things, you're trying to get it user tested. And then that will actually potentially say that the feature set you spent months building is not accurate and you need to be comfortable with that and move forward. And so there's so much in there, I think, about um, being willing to shift and manipulate um, within the digital space because that's what it's doing all the time every day the internet is completely different from the day before yeah and and that's the thing and that's why i raised malcolm gladwell because he talks about he profiles people like bill gates and steve jobs mm -hmm. and even the beatles and, and and different people but in terms of the timing so there was this lovely sweet spot where you know people would be at this very exciting new thing whatever their generation was so bill gates had unprecedented access to coding and when yeah. it was really at infant stages and it just so happened there were all these, you know, circumstances of fortune. But then he didn't have some of the things that had held back the previous generation, whether it was economic factors or, you know, uh, many other different things. But it seems to me like, particularly in our generation, that we grew up where we kind of learned to the physical world too. And then we had the internet when we weren't too old to kind of reject yeah. it. And yeah. I think that gives us this lovely three-dimensional a bit more all-encompassing thing and i and i imagine and i this is guesswork of course but in a role like yours now at design it i would guess that you have to bring that from people because how could you work in a company doing some of the projects you guys are doing without having a a, a rounded view of the world yeah it's very interesting in that i do think millennials or this generation um really cares about making sure maybe they're protecting their childhood and, and always getting to go outside and the beauty of nature. But um, it's starting to kind of circle back that I have been reading a lot of articles around um, teens now are actually getting um, flip phones that are not smartphones and they're completely wanting to go back into the world, like have non-technical technological moments. Right. And so while I do think 
are like the generation that is probably within a lot of the leadership roles now just by age or have the expertise that they're teaching down like yes very much want to protect that blend of physical and digital but i think the younger generation is just as conscious of what are we actually doing to the world is it going to be around and so they're very strong and adamant about pulling in accessibility and designing you know i think um our generation was first taught to design for the 80 percent um because that's how you'll get majority of everything through you don't have time to spend on or budget really to spend on every single iteration and outlier and now it's the opposite in a much better way for all of us in that it is designed for the hardest problems in mind and then it will actually be better for everyone else whether they have those um, challenges or not right and that shift within with sustainability as well has been extremely positive um at design i was just watching a wonderful um kind of project demo yesterday from our london studio we won a red dot award for this where we helped the company revo or revo it's um essentially a, a helicopter transit type of company and they had a lot of discussions around sustainability we were doing their branding and marketing we helped reposition of can you use um, electric helicopters for a lot of this? Like, how can you start to reduce the impact there? Um, and for me personally, maybe we'll get into it, but I think um, aviation is a space that actually is very strong in my personal life and now also at work. Um, Designer is doing so much within aviation and aerospace, and we're starting to own large sectors of it within Wipro as well. Um, working on the major airports from everything from Europe to Canada to the US. Um, and those are spaces that are very much at odds of kind of protecting that balance of the natural world and new technology, right? And where everything comes to a head there. It's, it's e-commerce, it's the most diverse type of populations, it is um, wayfinding and transit and like so many problems in, in one scenario that it's really, really fascinating. Um, and on the personal note, I we live and own an airport here in New Hampshire um, and I'm learning to fly and all of these things because my partner does, his parents do. And um, seeing it from the view as an actual user uh, is, is just really, really fascinating. But there's a whole discussion there too around how do you blend kind of that care for the planet and your hobbies and, and all of that. Mm, of course yeah and i and this is the thing with you know when i when i think about these problems that we face in the world now you know it's try to envision how we tackle those because they're monstrous yeah then, then it's it's in this almost um maybe it's a fantasy i don't know but it, when i depict that change happening it is in the companies of the scale of design it and it's and it's the bringing those minds together to find what those next steps are is that fair to say is that is that something yeah you know, absolutely <laughs> I have, you know, when I started working at really big companies, I recognized the power they have to change the world, right? Like they're working with most of the brands out there. Wipro is no exception in that if we are all approaching it from, um, in design it, we created this amazing framework uh, and theory that is around do no harm. Um, and now we're teaching that through the rest of the agency so that we go into every project with um, the most positive intent and output we potentially can get, right? And if we do that, or even company with the scale of Wipro, which is 230,000 odd plus folks, it's 
growing every day, you know, um, we have the ability to create massive scale. And it, even if it's just small tweaks in every one of these big companies, like the compounding interest of that will be phenomenal. Um, you know, for example, I think Coca-Cola is pledging to get 25% of all of their products to be in recyclable materials by 2030. And you step back and you're like 25%, that's it. But then when you think about the, I, I think it's something like a hundred and over a hundred billion products are pumped out from Coca-Cola, right? You have to think about the manufacturing systems, how many vendors they have, all the packaging, right? To turn that is unbelievably challenging. Um, and the infrastructure that they've already set up is really difficult to get over. And, and you can't just flip it overnight or they won't even have the money coming in to do a more responsible flip. And so I think that's what a lot of businesses and agencies are battling against right now is what are all the things that have been built for the last couple of decades with or without the right intention? And how do you shift those now that we're paying more attention to carbon foot impact, for example, right? Um, things that we are aware of, but we didn't actually measure or hold ourselves to standards in every single avenue. And now that we're trying to make improvements, rebuilding is so much harder than building something net new and clean. Um, and most companies out there are not doing the net new, because <laughs> that's why they're established big company. Um, and at the same time, that's why it's so exciting to be in this industry, especially for me personally. Like there's so many big complex, um, as I was in the industry yesterday, big juicy problems, right? That that's the space that it's so fascinating to be in because you can see the impact you're making um, and you can see what you're doing in every situation, how you're redesigning a mobile app and even thinking about digital sustainability, which is a relatively newer concept. Um, and all of these small, I think, decisions and implications are what I'm hoping every generation behind us is really starting to infuse in their learning and their building so that we don't have to continually be kind of <laughs> returning the tide for the whole world, right? Mm. And you hope that with this, the, the sheer raft of information and accessible knowledge that we have in today's world, that that won't be the case, that we are a big turning point now and big change. Yeah, that's the hope, there. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the internet is just as amazing as it is detrimental um, because, you know, humans are humans and what we do with information has the ability to create extremely positive effects or weapons of war, right? Like it's just... Um, how we are. So I think we are definitely at a pivot point that we are starting to see um, our effects on the planet and what we need to do to change that. And I don't think the only solution is just, well, let's go to Mars and do it somewhere else. Right. Um, though some people are trying that and I, I would make the attempt. Um, but I think it's really taking a step back and recognizing how do we start to create some boundaries and levels of responsibility on ourselves moving forward? And what does that mean um, within all of our jobs today? So, for example, you know, I think Canada and Europe are one of the best in terms of establishing um, laws around accessibility within digital spaces. And so it is creating quite a lot of work for agencies to go back in and infuse a lot of that rebuild, redesign um, to meet all of these laws so that they don't get a ton of fines and 
that's what we're going to have to do, I think, is really put in some steps and guardrails. Um, and I think there's a degree where the younger generation have younger generations have a leg up on us in that way, in that they can parse through a lot of this information and call bullshit <laughs> a little easier more than we can, because for us, everything was just such an overload that we let every facet of being a human good and bad infuse itself into the internet before we started building um, these guardrails. I, I heard an interesting commentary the other day, I think actually by Meghan Markle, which I can't believe I'm saying that, but she was talking about how, um, you know, when cars first came out, they didn't have seatbelts. They didn't have all of these protection items or standards and social media is at the same place in the world right now where it has been completely unfettered up until now and we need to start putting in really intentional moments and boundaries because we're seeing the harm and damage it is actually doing on our mental health on our teens especially um, on subset groups like women and unless we really take a moment to understand what is actually not working and put in systems in place to add some protection for all of us it's just going to keep, keep potentially doing harm um, and that creates a responsibility on a lot of the companies that are benefiting from that quote-unquote harm or just kind of the, the general unfetteredness of it um, and so this is where you always get into the discussion around business of um, revenue versus you know what's better for the world um, and it's a tough thing it's really tough, and, and uh, you, that reminded me of a, a standout favourite episode that I did on this show, and it was with Michael Phillips Moskowitz, who used to be the chief curator at eBay, and he went mm -hmm. on to found an app called Moodrise, and he termed it as digital nutrition, and his argument was exactly what you just described in that, you know, we have advice on smoking, food, you know, we've come along so much in, a, in the last generation or so in terms of our nutritional awareness, and yet here is this new thing. And I think the statistic was that consciously or unconsciously, we, we consume 12 and a half hours a day on average digital input, whether yeah. that's, you know, the music in a cafe or the screen that's playing in the pub or our own devices. And that's, you know, we don't yet know what the true impacts of that are. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah, there's a wonderful meme that goes around that is like in the 90s, everyone got to physically leave their computer and go home because you couldn't actually carry it home like it wasn't a laptop and now especially with like me I work remotely you are constantly hovering around the epicenter of this laptop and your cell phone because they are so like um mobile with you right and you are like oh let me just go back and do this thing so you know I personally have always really strongly believed in a work-life balance probably coming off the cliff of the advertising world and then realizing like, oh, you can have a life and work too um, after going into a different career. And so uh, I really protect that, um, but I'm not that great with it when it comes to digital or my phone, especially because I love to read, but I use Kindle so that it's cheaper or library apps, right? And so then I still am on my phone constantly and then I'll pop on and off and go do something else. Or you have the to screen challenge now where folks are watching a movie and also on their phone and 
you know, these are the things that, to your point, we don't really know the true implications. And when you are working in an industry, so like design it, when we're designing a lot of these interfaces in these moments, you really have to take into account the user journey, the exact needs, and not just fulfill every need in the space that you think the brand can play, but also decide when should the brand not be there. Um, and that's what's really hard for a lot of companies because they want to be ever-present. Right. And um, it's kind of on us to help them find that balance and recognize that you don't actually need to be with your customers 24 seven, go in for the moments that matter for them and then be really helpful and respectful otherwise. Um, But that's tough because that then misses ad opportunities and some other things, right, that are revenue generating. Yeah. And then on a, on a human creativity level, and this is something I've been studying a lot recently is part of a new book writing process. The unconscious is hugely important, you know, in the creative process mm-hmm. and in today's world and the speed of it all. And as you say, the constant device there is we have to give our brains time off. We have to al- allow the unconscious to play its crucial role in coming up with those really big ideas, you know? Um, and if we don't, then I guess you end up with a lot of stressed, burned out people. Yeah, it's funny that like my hobbies in a way have also helped with this balance at work. So um, I think I said I ride motorcycles, etc. And I was known for, you know, walking in with a helmet and all that. And um, somewhere along the way, that actually created this um, kind of thought that when I wasn't at work, I was untouchable because I was on a motorcycle somewhere and you shouldn't even try to call me because it's not safe. You know, like it wasn't necessarily true. Like most of the time I just rode home. Um, but I think it really helped me actually take a step back and say, okay, how am I even communicating? What times am I communicating at work that then also bleed into my life? Um, and, you know, a lot of my hobbies are very much like, let's get completely away from screens as much as possible. Um, and it's sinking into the real world, like seeing people doing things, um, maybe not as adventurous as should be in terms of like hiking and some health things. <laughs> you know, if, if only riding a motorcycle was just like working out for my body, that'd be fantastic. But um, I, I have tried to be really conscious of how, I can make sure that the time and effort I'm spending within digital is when I'm accomplishing something and not just being bored. Um, And I can tell that it changes my mood over time as well. If like, I'm just, you know, lost in the death scroll for a couple mornings a week, then I pull it back and say, okay, no phone for a bit in the morning. Um, You just have to be intentional at this point to easily sucks you in. Yeah, it really does. And it does take some real self-discipline and, uh, very necessary i think <laughs> so let's do it I've, I've been running before i can walk i always do this i get too excited but um but but so your role at design it could you give us just a little overview of that and and yeah uh, and not a day-to-day thing because i don't imagine you've got a role that has a day-to-day i imagine it's very varied <laughs> yeah um for me this is the perfect blend of the world and it's just as ironic in that um Whereas my first job was through Craigslist, in a way, I got the future version of that with answering a LinkedIn message, which I didn't actually believe worked, but they were clever in that I needed to sign an NDA to even see what the executive role was. Um, So that spiked the curiosity there. Um, And it really, in I think, kind of three dynamic ways is 
exactly everything that I like to do and have done in the past. So I am leaning on expertise and not only um, being the new kid stepping into the room, as we talked about previously. So um, I'm head of design and creative, which the creative side is more closer to a traditional agency of art directors, copywriters, video motion, etc. Um, and they're doing a lot of um, really brilliant brand work, campaign work, marketing work, um, but they're able to touch any type of medium, whether that's digital, um, printed, what have you. And then on the design side, that is service design and experience design. So that's where you get really heavy into digital, heavy into innovation, ideation, um, the spaces I really like to play. And we have also, um, partner next to that we have research and strategy and so it's kind of this completely infused swirl of again a lot of my past experiences um that i am feeling so energized and also grateful to be in this position and lead kind of two very different groups but now we're trying to really um collaborate more like our our goal is to do and we have started to have so many strong projects this way, but true end to end where it's both creative and design, um, where you're able to go from the napkin idea on paper all the way full to launch and execution. Um, and then social listening and everything like that as well. Um, and then the third piece that has been unexpected, but probably one of the most fascinating for me as a leader is design it as its size and where it is in its kind of life trajectory of different acquisitions and so forth, either being acquired or acquiring other companies, still has this really fascinating startup feel um, where we're roughly about 800 globally. So we have skills and services for um, every end within the creative suite. Um, and then we have the backing of and power of Whipro behind us that if we need to scale, et cetera, we can we'll call on really specific dev talent, all of that. Um, but being 800 and then you chunk it down about 400-ish within the Americas, that is still a very nimble type of size where we can have this boutique high quality work um, and you can still really have that kind of white glove experience with clients where you, we really care about being highly collaborative, acting as a partner and not doing the traditional like, we'll make our magic in a box and then we, we come show it to you, right? So really having them along every step of the way. Um, and that startup area, you know, there's a lot of processes and things that are not yet truly um, deeply established that for me, I've been in acquisitions where then you had to make a lot of concessions um, and shift a lot of the essence of why that company was so great and needed to be acquired um, and dilute it to a degree where design it, we still have control of our own destiny in a way. And um, it's a lot more of a respected partnership with Wipro in that even the CEO, Thierry, um, was present when Capgemini acquired Frog and understands how a design agency can be really transformative um, for a larger business into, you know, more of an experience type of company. Um, and I think that is the hope and intent within design it as well. Um, and so we're, that's kind of an interesting pivot in terms of how we are within the suite of the Wipro brands, but also um for me, it means there are a lot of puzzles to still be solved. Like it gets that curiosity. As you said, no day is even remotely the same. <laughs> um, I, I think I stepped in and within the first two weeks was 
part of a massive reorg of everything from retitling to doing stratification, which is something I really enjoy doing, but wouldn't have expected to do with little to no context of the company or people I'm leading, right? Um, I've supported resourcing processes and our people HR processes and, you know, this kind of all hands on deck startup mindset is really where I flourish. And so it's been um, an, a really exciting eight months. Um, and I can just see a year from now how amazing it will be. And I think that's the reason I'm the most excited is because I can see the value that myself or others are putting in and knowing that that will compound to be something even better in a place people are really excited to work with some of the top talent um, in a year from now just by how we're shifting stuff in the current moment. Yeah, it's incredible. And I mean, so over the course of your roles, I know you were, were at the Idea Factory and Tufts. Mm. And have you, as you've moved through the roles, have you been able to kind of better tune and understand with your own personality to the point where you are now able to recognize those the joys of the work you just described and you know i i guess are you aware of self and do you and does does the does the work serve those needs yeah i i guess i can say that i am pretty self-aware because also <laughs> my therapist my executive coach etc say the same thing so there's a little bit of validation there um but i think i've always tried to step back and recognize what truthfully makes me not only passionate about what I'm doing, but actually effective at what I'm doing, because a lot of people are so um, excited about a thing or what have you, but don't necessarily have the skills, capacity, background, all the things. And I'm very cognizant of where I play very strongly and where I don't. Um, so I use this example, it's very small, but like I'm a seven on the Enneagram scale. And what that means is a good portion of my personality is very much in the initial 80%. I love the idea space, solving the problem, setting up the structure, getting everyone involved, knowing that it will be the right thing to get to the output. But when you get to crossing the T's, dotting the I's, um, pushing the pixels, that is where I just completely space. And so I intentionally align myself on project situations with someone that can, I don't want to say pick up my slack, but kind of, right, that I can make sure is beneficial to how I operate um, so that we are really well-rounded. Um, and you touched on the idea factory. So that one's interesting. It's a recent board member position that I've um, started doing um, here actually within New Hampshire. And their entire business model is predicated upon having almost like Shark Tank for digital, where you have different CEOs or leaders coming in, pitching this concept for a business. Almost all of them have a very digital app component to them. And they go through multiple rounds of market validation, user research, all to pressure test that before we even design the thing, is this the right thing? Is it filling a gap? Is it going to, you know, actually become a startup that makes it not fizzles out. And if that happens, then they'll start doing the prototyping phase. Um, they have a small dev shop that they work with that'll do these rapid prototypes, do more market testing, et cetera. And the hope is to get them big enough that then they'll just get bought by whatever company. So one of the ones that just launched, um, I think is really fascinating. It's called Dibs Deals is essentially a platform that would link into or their hope would like link into Zillow, for example, like that would be the buyout potential, where when you are selling a home, a lot of people have all this furniture, and it kind of like, 
goes off in the world and drives and drops. But instead, you can go into this app, you can see all of this furniture in different houses, and um, you can buy it right from there, because you know, it'll either fit the space, or you can see um, how it works in the space at a obviously discounted price. Um, and realtors are really excited about this and are using it more than I would say normal users. And so it has a multi-layered user base. So my role for the idea factory is helping them um, with that idea and that design. And then even into the digital delivery phase, because I think I've worked in spaces that deliver on such a scale, they don't have the expertise in. And so I'm in that sweet spot of like, okay, the idea is a formed thing. How do we get it big enough to actually make some waves and potentially get bought later. Um, and so there's a nice intersection in there that um, my hope would be one of these gets big enough and maybe then design it could take over um, really launching it to scale and have that true kind of intersection, but we'll see if how that goes. Um, but it's been really refreshing for me to take a step back into an advisory position and kind of that market testing for validation. Mm. Yeah. And that personal growth and personal awareness is, is critical isn't it and i guess it enables you to come across and realize your own suitability for such a role like the idea factory you know it's um i think so many of us kind of start in this industry with an idea of what we might want to do mm. and then follow it to the death to the point of burnout or to, or to being really quite unhappy and not understanding why and it's not easy actually to get a grasp on the self but i think that i think i love what you said about recognizing the bits that you are maybe not well well suited to do because we all have them and yeah you know, it's almost Jungian psychology and that kind of embracing the, the the dark and the light. And it's, I talked with a previous guest about we had these different analogies and, and ways of assessing and, and recognizing, you know, not just the kind of flaws or weaknesses, but the potential upsides of those. So she, uh, my guest, Sarah Coggin, she she termed it as her mixing desk and I referred to it mm. to the top trumps, the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where it's, it's kind of ranking so i said I'm, I'm really quite haphazard and i'm quite clumsy so i kind of had my like you know dexterity at like a two but i said but actually when you when you flip that that's the foundation of my art style my illustration style mm. which is very raw and ralph steadman style and kind of rough and that's become my founding identity so actually when you flip that maybe that's an eight rather than a two and it's, it's interesting yeah. to try and reframe each personality trait but even just a base awareness of that i think is really really um healthy you know otherwise you can spend years banging your head against the wall that's not right and then that's to the de detriment of everybody you work with and yourself yeah and i think the challenge in today's working environment is that it is very rare to have folks work in the same place for decades on end um or within the same skill right i think that is something that our the generations ahead of us got the benefit of and even pensions and things like that right but um you know, even within design it, we're seeing a market shift um, within the industry of what skills clients are coming to us for, what help they need, what problems they have. And that is having us also then look at our teams to say, do we have the skills to meet those needs? Do we need to rescale, upscale, redeploy? Um, and you know, oftentimes it's the folks that are most malleable earlier in their career that you can quickly shift them into something else um, because they are just starting to decide where they play. Similarly, you know, I thought I was going to be a journalist and then digital came on the scene and kind of, in my opinion, broke the essence of what it meant to do real truthful news because then it was all about speed 
and timing of getting the news out, not necessarily about it being accurate. Um, and that led me into this path of where I found design and digital and again, a space I didn't expect. And now we're actually not only falling into things, we are intentionally moving our teams because the market is just moving so fast and we have to meet demands. Um, and so the workforce to me just feels a lot different than it used to in terms of if you do not have the self-awareness or the willingness to say, okay, I have to go learn some new things, you will potentially struggle, right? Or you need to then go find a space that allows you to stay in that same space that you have really wanted, but it might not be the same company. And that's just as much of a big challenge, right? Of then you're having to move around to keep finding the thing that you're really good at comparative to shifting and staying within a company. Um, so it's, it's kind of really opposing at the moment. Mm, and I guess in a role like your own, you would, that means high turnover, I suppose, of staff and, and having to, you know, understand new people all the yeah. time and get to, you know. It does and it doesn't. You know, I think being in the creative space, folks are highly curious. And, you know, so we're talking about service design, business design and research right now of kind of all coalescing of like, are they truly distinctive? Or are they more partnership driven? And you can't really do service design without a deep research, right? And so um, we're looking at, like slowly shifting our folks into being more cross functional, or um, we have a desire to continue to grow our product management team. And so instead of going to source net new, which we can absolutely do, we've been identifying the folks that are naturally inclined to think in a product mindset to be really um, kind of detail oriented and wanting user stories and things like that, and then shift them into that role. So um, yes, we, we will always get some attrition when you do some shifting. But I think like being in a creative agency type of space, you have folks more willing to say like, okay, let me go test that for six months and see what it is. We have a very phenomenal design director right now playing in a client services slash sales role um, because she's phenomenal with clients. And it, we have completely acknowledged this is a six to 12 month test and we'll see how it goes. And I think that level of willingness serves companies like ours and at our size really well because we're still small enough that we can't have specialization to the nth degree because then we won't have enough projects or roles for everyone, right? So we really have to, um, again, be willing to be cross-functional. Mm. And then um, a friend of mine recently said to me, he said that he, he firmly believed that it was going to be business that made the big changes in the world. You know, um, his belief stemmed from, it was quite a unique circumstance, but he wrote a book and he was kind of looking at democracy and, and talking to politicians. And, and his findings were that, to a degree, everyone was on their own career tra trajectory. They were towing party lines. So he always felt that businesses had to make the, the real change at ground level. Is that something you'd agree with? And, um, you know, a, a company like Design It, like we discussed with the power and the scale to make serious contributions, positive contributions to the world. Yeah, you know, I think the intersection of our personal lives and business are happening more frequently and with more demand now. So you see companies where they are enforcing three days a week and they are getting stronger pushback than they even expected. Like they expect some, right? But because folks have 
physically moved their home and it's affecting not only folks that are on quote unquote bench, but billable as well. Right. So I, I do believe that there's now a, not only desire, but actually like for a company to be competitive, to be um, like have strong employee experience. And then you have good employee dedication, good work ethic, you actually have to be cognizant of the socioeconomical environment. And you have to think about the employee experience, right? You need strong onboarding, offboarding, you need to account for your team members to be able to go vote, right? Like things that were kind of somewhat recognized. And, you know, there were light policies on it are now truthfully really infusing into the business. And so I do believe that businesses actually have to be more present. And I, I, I recognize the challenge in that, right? Like you want to just make a product and then sell the product and like that be what your business does and you're just really good at it, but you can't now. You have to also think about your employee experience, how you're supporting them. You need to have market parity for their pay and you don't get to decide what the market parity is, right? So they're, you're shifting a lot of salaries because not only is there so much more data, but there's laws now, your employees are talking to each other now, right? Your business is foundationally shifting because of the way our society is shifting. Um, and if you don't pay attention to that, I do believe you will be left in the dust or another company will be able to take over um, and get in that number one spot, right? Um, yeah, it's it's been very fascinating and very, I think, challenging, both on a personal and professional level, to understand what are you allowed to ask for at work or what you should be advocating for. And then on the business side, same thing as a leader of like, you know, folks come and, and request compensation adjustments or they request um, policy changes whatever the thing is and it's like you very much respect they're having the hard conversation they're asking for things that you fundamentally agree with but then you see the business challenges of saying like we have this bucket of money and it's close to zero like we we want to but we don't know how to unless we really start scaling up our business bringing in more revenue to do all of those employee experience elements and items you know if you want to pay for a lot of dei efforts you need to have the funding to do so right and so then the the challenge there is um employees tend to focus really on the things that matter to them personally which is very natural of humans but we need everyone to how can you focus on doing amazing work and also helping us get new clients, get extensions with our clients, right? So that we get all the funding to do all of those things that are personally important to you. And so um, that's kind of the, the tension inside of leadership right now. And a lot of companies um, design it is um, also included in that of really wanting to create those shift and, and changes to do better, be better, um, in how we function as a company, but you also need to be so cognizant of the business and the impacts and you need to have the funding space structure, whatever it is to pay off on all those other things. It's mm, the ever ongoing puzzle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the everyday. <laughs> um, I'm aware I've kept you for a while. Um, I just want to quickly touch, go back to your, your motorcycles. I think it's really cool. And, yeah, yeah. and I'd love to hear a little bit about the community that you're, did you, did you start mm. the community? Yeah, so um, somewhere along the way, one of my best friends and I 
you know, being a woman inside the motorcycle community is very challenging. Um, it is one that you really have to stand on your own two feet, often by yourself, because they will talk over you or won't talk to you because they assume you do and don't know mechanical things, which to varying degrees, I do, sure. Um, but we built this, you know, we called it the inclusive motorcycle community inside of Boston that it started out as 10 nights a week in the summer, which I can't believe we started with so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we went big to start and it was just a bike night every other week that, you know, you come, you park, um, but it was meant for everyone no silos. We had a bunch of vendors there. We were at this amazing bar, the Polish political club, because what my friend is phenomenal at is connections and people. And I'm um, on the, the branding, the marketing, the bringing the people to the thing. Um, so we blended together really well and everyone shows up, hangs out, talks about motorcycles and it's scaled to the degree that we would get anywhere between 150 to 300 every other Wednesday. Um, probably one of the most defining things I've ever done. And it formed a lot of relationships. We've had people get married now, all of the things. Um, but carving out a space inside a place that folks don't believe you should be there um, is, I think, one of the most validating things I have ever done and also the most challenging. Um, it's essentially event planning, if you really think about it. But when you layer on um, how women... Um, or subset diverse groups are, you know, such a minority in this space. Um, it was really phenomenal to be able to start to shift that a bit ourselves and really have a hand in that. And now the, the motorcycle scene is vastly different from when I first started riding. There's so many women's motorcycle groups, events, like I've flown to excuse me, London, not knowing anyone, met girls from the Facebook Messenger group. We rode to Wales for this camp out on the side of a mountain. Um, I've like flown to Vegas, rented a bike and went to this over 3000 women camping in Joshua Tree and even Pink showed up on her motorcycle. You know, like it's just been um, probably the best thing I've ever done for myself that I don't really know how that started. Um, and forming a community inside of that and being really intentional with it um, to be open um, I, I don't know if I'll ever do anything better, so we'll see. I think that's incredible and it's inspiring and, um, you know, to set an example like that is only going to bleed out to the next generations. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, let's hope so. I would love <laughs> a lot more women to ride, a lot more women to fly. Um, yeah. you know, we need to start taking up space because it's not for a lack of ability. It's for a lack of mentorship and inclusion, right? Again, you can stand next to a group of people and be talked over because it's just natural assumptions of ability um, or, or desire. And I think women in other groups are really starting to demonstrate that that's not true. I just saw, uh, I don't know exactly how old she is, I think in her 20s, um, a mom go up into space and like she's been huge on TikTok and everything else. And um, you also have NASA Blueberry. So they're we're just doing some really phenomenal things. So it's really exciting to see in very like extremist type of hobbies and sports and otherwise. Yeah. And that must, be, and that just bleeds out into the rest of your life as a, as an empowering yeah. force. Does it not? Absolutely. I mean, we now have campouts at our house. Um, most of my girlfriends are, are motorcycle riders at this point. Um, and they're all just like such fascinating powerhouses in their own right um and it's really this love of the same thing that brings us together so it's 
transformed everything about how I function and is how I found my partner too because he knew about that event um and came to find me as he calls it um so I guess it was a good dating ploy for myself unintentionally Ooh, too yeah, that's, a, that's a great origin story <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and, uh, and last of all is there anything exciting on the radar for design it what's coming up for you yeah uh um like I said, we're really getting into the aviation space. We have been talking to so many different airports just within the U.S., some that um, were doing massive transformations for both guests and employees. And guests are like travelers, all of us passengers, right, um, ahead of things even like the Olympics coming to certain cities, right? So uh, we're moving into a space that transformation for us is again, these complex problems, but on a scale that we have the speed to market. Um, so it's like amazing, thoughtful design, but actually gets out there in the world and hopefully is is moving those needles. So that's the space I'm most excited for us to watch again, personally, because I'm invested in it. Um, but we're starting to own a few industries really strongly. Um, and I think when you start to do that, you can really be a change maker in that space because you start to form that expertise in that. Um, and you can guide different um, airports, airlines, et cetera, that have similar challenges, right? And you can move the entire industry forward. Um, and we're doing that in some other spaces as well, transportation, et cetera. And so I think there's so many, we're trying to target industries that um, really need a full infrastructure overhaul or have been kind of the left behind and are recognizing that they need to dramatically change to not only meet modern day standards, but then move forward. Um, and that causes a lot of infrastructure you know archaic um platforms that they have developed different things on nothing's connected and so it, there's so much there but that's where the really interesting problems are um you know we're working with some rail and train companies um things that are equivalent to the us's version of like the dmv rmv and completely reimagining that experience so these are the, the problems we're really getting into and that's what's really exciting for me very exciting indeed it sounds huge <laughs> well let's hope so <laughs> well this has been a pleasure christina thank you so much agreed. for your time i really agreed thank you so much for the chat well, my pleasure massive thank you to christine for joining me on the show today i hope you enjoy that go and have a little browse around design its website um really fascinating stuff design you find all the information and all the projects there but i hope you took something from today's conversation particularly this stuff about design leadership i found that really really fascinating coming up on the show we've got idler editor and founder tom hodgkinson we've got muragaya coming back both of those guys um sorry no muragaya is going to be this side of christmas tom hodgkinson is going to be january uh give me a shout i'm always up for guests come and talk to me if you want to be on the show tell me what you're up to and if it fits the bill and where i'm taking the show i will get you involved thank you once again for contributing to the kickstarter guys it's funded the book is happening march 2024 have a great week stay creative check out the founding supporter of the show illustrationx.com for all their global range of illustration and animation portfolios thanks for listening oh and if you get a chance subscribe and please 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 drop me a review on spotify or whatever whichever platform you use it's really really valuable i want to grow this show in 2024 to um a whole nother level so please help me out it only takes a few seconds and, and spread the word thanks guys have an awesome week take care stay creative cheers <laughs> <laughs>